Good morning again. If you're just joining us, my name is Sam McLaughlin, and I'm one of the pastors here. If you're a visitor, we would love for you to sign up for our email newsletter. This is the best way to learn about our church, and I am giving your contact information, and I would love the chance to connect with you. Today, we start our new sermon series for a new year, and it is called One Wild and Precious Life. This phrase comes from the poem, The Summer Day, by Mary Oliver, in which she asks the reader, tell me what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? As Christians, we believe that we have been gifted a beautiful, abundant, wild, and precious life through Jesus. So as we begin this new year and set new intentions, we are going to look at what the scriptures reveal about him and who he calls us to be. As we begin, I want you to think about your life as a story. You may have seen the image that goes along with our sermon series. It's this old brown book with gold lettering that says, One Wild and Precious Life. Imagine that that is the book of your life, that that is your life as a body of work. We know that every good story has unexpected plot twists. We know that most stories carry points of unanticipated pain. But with every turn, we have the opportunity to choose to live life to the fullest or just survive. At times, all we can do is just survive. Perhaps that's how you feel right now. But as we look at the book of Matthew over these next five weeks, I hope that you are inspired to thrive, to claim this one wild and precious life that you only have one shot at living. We can also look at scripture as a collection of stories about who God is and who we are in relationship to God. Our story today is really a continuation of the Christmas story. It is about three wise men, a king, some chief priest, and our royal baby, the ordinary, extraordinary Jesus who comes to us in the mire and the muck and the dirt of life. Now, these wise men or magi, as Gracie pointed out, were not Jews. They were Gentiles, which for Matthew emphasizes yet again that Jesus has come for all people. They were likely wealthy foreigners, which is a sharp contrast from this manger scene with Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and lowly shepherds. The word for magi is interpreted in a number of ways. Most commonly, we say wise men, as we had today. But it also could have mean magicians, sorcerers, astrologers. In fact, most scholars do believe that this word refers to a priestly class of Babylonian or Persian experts known for their knowledge of the stars and their interpretation of dreams. Now, at the time, it was a common belief that when a world leader like a king was born, a special stellar phenomenon would appear in the sky. Historians tell us that Jews and Romans and Persians all would have been watching the skies looking for signs of the birth of an extraordinary king. So these men who studied the stars saw something that convinced them that they had seen the long-awaited sign. And so it makes sense 
that when they go to Herod, they say, Where is this child who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the sky, and we want to go and pay him homage. Now this terrifies Herod because he is the king. So he calls the chief priests and the scribes to him and asks them to tell him what the scriptures say. They quote Micah 5.2, which basically confirms that the shepherd of Israel will come from Bethlehem. And so Herod calls the wise men to him in secret. He tells them to go and find the baby and to bring back word of his whereabouts so that he too can go and pay homage. Of course, we know that that is not really his intent. So the wise men set out on a wild adventure to find this precious king, not knowing where they're going, but trusting the star in the sky to lead them. Some sources say that they could have been on this journey for months. Finally, when it stops over the place where Jesus was, the text says the wise men were overwhelmed with joy. They entered the house, saw Mary and Jesus, knelt down to worship him, opened their treasure chest, offered him gifts, and then they were warned in a dream of which they were experts at interpreting, not to return to Herod. So they left their own country. They left for their home by another road. On Christmas Eve, we talked about God coming to us and speaking to us through the ordinary, extraordinary, everyday occurrence of birth. We can relate, just like Mary and Joseph, what, to what it means for a baby to change our lives. Here, as we are still learning what Jesus' birth will mean, we see that God is the character in the background who still, he's using what the wise men knew and loved to captivate them. God is speaking to them in a language that they can understand. And then... It is the mere presence of the Christ child that changes the course of these men's lives. It feels unbelievable that this baby, who has done nothing and said nothing, will cause them to defy Herod's orders, which could have led to their death. But again, we see how an ordinary, extraordinary baby changes everything. Their response is overwhelming joy, worship, gift-giving, and a return home to the exact same life, but by another road as a different person. As we begin 2021, God is inviting us on a wild adventure to encounter the living God. God will use what we know and what we love to captivate our attention and lead us. How are we in this new year going to commit to living as people overwhelmed by the presence of Christ? What practices are we going to carve out that cause us to fall down and worship Jesus? In what ways will we hand over all our gifts for the sake of his kingdom come? And perhaps most pressing, how will we live as different people when we find ourselves in the exact same place? The reality of this new year is that our surroundings may not change for a while. For months to come, we will still be wearing masks. 
We will still be sheltering in place. We will still be worshiping from home. We will still wake up and see the daily numbers of those dying from COVID. This morning, it was 350,000. Yesterday, I was in the grocery store, and I encountered two people who I spoke to very briefly, and I heard that same sentiment. New year, same situation. Yet, as the people of God, we have choices on how we see our circumstances and how we choose to live within them. We can return home, stay at home, return to our exact same lives, but by another road as different people. Perhaps for you, this is the year of the high road, or the straight and narrow road, or the road with arrows that lead to greater self-awakening, or the road that helps you prioritize your spiritual goals above everything else in your life. Or the road where beauty laces every turn and each sunrise makes you grateful for the wondrous gift of just being alive. In 2021, what will you intentionally do to encounter Jesus? And what road will he inspire you to travel? Further, I imagine that when these wise men underwent That these wise men underwent a transformation after meeting Jesus. We are not given the details of their journey home. But as we know, life after an experience with Christ does not change in an instant. We must make gradual changes as we go back to our old life as a new person. And so I wonder what they thought about as they traveled through that desert on camels with the cool wind meeting their face and stinging their eyes, what new intentions did they set for themselves? Who or what were they deciding to let go of? Who or what were they deciding to cling to? This past week, I listened to my first book on Audible. My mom gifted me Audible back in July, uh, but I love holding a book in my hands, so I really didn't know if I could listen to one on tape. I'm also the type of person who wants to hear every single word, and I must start what I finish. So when I looked at that screen and it said it would take 16 hours to listen to one book, it felt very daunting to me. But I finally tried it because part of my new new year intention is to keep trying new things. I feel like that's something we can do in the midst of this situation. My neighbor had just finished reading the novel American Dirt. And she told me that it's a story about a woman named Lydia and her eight-year-old son, Luca, who are escaping violence in Mexico and seeking asylum in the United States. Once I started this novel, it was really hard to stop, even though parts of this book seem unimaginable to me and still haunt me. The book begins with Lydia and Luca hiding in the bathroom of her mother's house as her entire family is killed by the cartel. See, her husband was a reporter who highlighted the cartel's activity and the threat had become real. So Lydia and Luca ran from their home in Acapulco, fearing for their lives at every turn, as they must fend for themselves, jump on trains, endure assault, watch fellow migrants die. They finally find themselves in the desert, closer and closer to safety. 
Now, two scenes with Lydia in the desert particularly caught my attention. The first, oh, and I'm giving something away here. So (laughs) the first is when they cross the border into the United States. Their coyote nonchalantly tells them after the fact, and Lydia is shocked that this crossing happened without her even noticing. It would be like us driving from state to state. It was not the grand moment she expected. She did not have the feeling of being safe or that or like the past was behind her. But the second scene is when that moment comes, when it hits her. She is standing in the back of a cave in the mountains. And the author describes this as her moment of crossing. She says, Lydia sheds the violent skin of everything that has happened to her. It rolls down her tingling scalp, off the mantle of her shoulders, and down the full length of her body. She breathes it out. She spits it into the dirt. Her entire life before this moment, every person she loved that is gone, her monumental regret, she leaves it there and she whispers into the air, I forgive you. When we traverse the terrain of our life, we encounter moments that we expect to be grand, yet they slap us in the face with dullness. It is often the unforced, raw moments that we experience a crossing. As you look back at 2020, I imagine that there are heartaches and traumas, rocky roads and landslides, parched patches of desert, and mirages of safety. But here we are at a crossing, not one that we are trying to force but one that is the natural rhythm of life, a new year, a new chapter in the book of life with Jesus. So like the wise men returning home changed and Lydia experiencing this metamorphosis in the desert, we have the opportunity to shed the skin of everything that has happened to us in 2020, to let it roll down the length of our bodies, to breathe it out, to spit it into the dirt, to forgive ourselves and others for the sinful sting of our actions and inactions, and maybe even to forgive ourselves for the failure to embrace our one wild and precious life in the midst of so much death. To me, every new beginning requires an inventory of who we weren't were before we can become who we want to be. Every encounter with the living Christ calls us to lose something in order to find life in him. And it is in the shedding that we find freedom, that we find new breath, that we find the relief of release. In this new year, your story can change even if your setting does not. Jesus is the author and perfecter of your narrative, but you are a co-creator with the ability to choose. If your homage to Jesus this past year has been lackluster, if you are traveling a road that no longer serves you, if you are aching for a change, if you need the precious arms of Jesus to wrap around your worn out body, return home by another road. Set new intentions. Decide who and what to let go of. Decide who and what to cling tightly to. 
Because to claim the air in our lungs and the blood in our veins and the purpose for which God has gifted us one wild and precious life is to pay the greatest homage to the ordinary, extraordinary baby that changes our lives forever. May we start here in 2021. Amen.